There are sermons that we love to give and we love to hear. The sermons that we love to give and we love to hear, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you so much that God gave him to us that we might be saved, that we might be called children of God, that we might have an eternal life. The sermons we don't like to give and we don't like to hear are things like forgive people even though you don't want to. Or how much do you love Jesus? We love to talk about how much Jesus loves us. But the question, how much do we love Jesus? And Jesus is going to talk about that in this particular passage as we're going through the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. So we find ourselves at uh, Luke chapter 14, starting with verse 25 and 26. It says, Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, Now I'm going to stop there. Jesus isn't like your typical pastor. Yes, he's an itinerant rabbi who goes through the villages and towns and cities and countryside, preaching and teaching and healing and doing all those sorts of things. But it seems that as he becomes more popular, he tends to then say things that are very hard. And we come up with the hard sayings of Jesus. One of those was when there was this large crowd starting to follow him. He said, you cannot be my disciple if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everybody goes, ooh, you know, and they're, they're thinking literally, and they're going, ooh, that's gross, we can't do that. And all, lots of people leave, pretty much all, everybody, but who eventually will be called the apostles. And even ask them, don't you want to go? And they answer him, where are we to go? Because you have the words of life. And so this is one of those times where Jesus is going to do one of those hard sayings. Now he's going... And he's on his way to Jerusalem for Passover. That Passover that will take place after the triumphal entry, after he teaches and, and kicks out the money changers from the temple and does all types of things, he will then become the Passover lamb. And so he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he turns to this crowd who's following him. And again, there's a lot of people who like to follow Jesus. It's kind of like today, if you will. I bet if, if he had a, a Facebook page, everybody would put their thumbs up and do likes, and he would be followed by many people. Doesn't necessarily mean followers are disciples. And so he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, and yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I'm a lawyer, so I just saw an exception. You still have to love your in-laws. Because he never once said, hate your in-laws. Or maybe he never said, hate your in-laws, because he didn't have to tell you, because he already knows you hate your in-laws. And so... Anyway, he's going on and he's, going to, he's saying, if you don't hate your family, you cannot be my disciple. Now, here's the problem. 
Hate is a really strong word. And that kind of, huh, what is Jesus saying? One of the keys to answering what Jesus is saying is to remember to allow Scripture, the Word of God, to interpret the Word of God. So, if Jesus has taught us that we are, as the Old Testament says, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and he expanded who our neighbors are, and he has taught us to love our enemies, and he will eventually teach, as we go on with this study, that we are to love one another as he has loved us, then does he mean in the sense that we're not to love our family, but to love everybody else? No, that's not what he's saying. He is not saying hate in the sense of have ill will or contempt for your family. He is using hate in the same capacity as the scripture says that God loved Jacob, but Esau he hated. Now, God didn't hate Esau in the sense of the way we think of hate was, I want something bad to happen to him. It was, God bless Jacob. God bless Jacob and his family. Esau, he would do some things, but not near the way he would bless Jacob. So what, in essence, God is saying is not this ill will toward your family, but that when given a choice between Jesus and following him and being his disciple and doing with your family, you are to prefer Jesus. Now, this is kind of a paradox, and, and, and I'll tell you in a minute why it's a paradox. So we are told to hate our family members. We are told, in essence, that we are to, when it comes to advancing Jesus or the family, you choose Jesus each and every time. But I can tell you this in the paradox. If you follow Jesus the way Jesus wants you to follow him, if you love Jesus the way Jesus loves you, you will love your father and your mother and your wife and your children with a greater capacity than you are able to on your own. But the question is, what do you put first place in your life? Do you put family first or do you put Jesus first? And Jesus is saying, you cannot be my disciple. Oh yeah, you can follow, you can like me, you can say all these types of things, but you're not my disciple if you don't put me first over your family. And says, and even to hate our own lives. Again, the preference is Jesus over our own lives. And then he says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So first he's saying, you have to prefer me over your family. And he also says, in essence, you need to carry your cross. Now, we are some almost 2,000 years after Jesus carrying his cross. And we've done all kinds of beautiful things with the cross. We have nice little necklaces that are made out of gold or silver or platinum or some other. And then sometimes they have diamonds and whatever. And I'm not saying you shouldn't wear those things, and I'm not saying they're beautiful. But the deal is that the cross was a symbol of shame. The cross 
was a symbol of death. And his followers were very much aware of what it meant to carry your cross. Because the first crucifixion wasn't Jesus's. Rome perfected crucifixions. And they crucified many, many people. And they would do it publicly so that if you mess with Rome, you knew that they had messed with Rome and they came up on a tall stick. So he's saying we are to, in essence, carry that cross to deny ourselves and to follow him. And if we're not willing to do that, then we are not willing to be his disciples. Paul got that very, very well in Galatians chapter 2, starting with verse 20, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul is saying, not only am I carrying my cross, I nailed myself to, the, to it. And I died. But you notice I'm still a lot around. I'm around because my life that I'm living is not for me. It's for him. Because he loved me. And the only thing that I can do in return is to live for him. Told you you wouldn't like this message. All I have to say is not mine, but Jesus' words. And then he asks a question in verse 28. For which one does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Now, what is it that he's doing? Whoever does not carry his cross cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first of all sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Now notice Jesus didn't just talk about a normal building. He talked about a tower, which means that you've got to place an excellent foundation or the tower will fall. It's critical. And so you've got to place the money there, but you've got to know how much money it's going to cost to build a foundation. And then you need to know how much it's going to cost to finish it. And if you don't have enough money, then Jesus is saying, why are you starting? And in the very same one, you're going, you need to count the cost of following me. You count that cost to see if you can complete it. Now, unfortunately, we Christians, we followers of Jesus, we disciples are so desirous of others becoming Christians, becoming disciples, becoming followers, that we try to kind of minimize the cost. 
We talk about how life is wonderful and all your problems will be solved. And in reality, becoming a believer oftentimes gives you more problems because people don't understand why you're doing that Jesus thing. We tell people, oh, God will solve all their problems. And then when life smacks them in the face, whether it's with disease or sickness or family problems or financial problems, we start to go, oh, wait a minute, maybe this Jesus thing isn't there. There are those who need to count the cost. And sometimes we forget that. So for instance, there are certain people of certain faiths in this world that if they reject their faith and come to Jesus, they will be at minimum rejected by their family or even murdered because how dare them become an infidel. And each of one of us, when we come to Jesus, also need to realize the cost. As Paul said, I no longer live for me, I live for him. So now you deny yourself. It costs you what you want to do to do what God wants you to do. And let's face it, we live in a world that we all want to do what we want to do, and we want to do it right now. We all want to be rich, and we want it right now. We all want to have fame, and we want it right now. We all want to have power, and we want it right now. We all want to be purposeful, and we want it right now. And God's saying, maybe your purpose is to deny yourself and simply follow me. It may cost you because you had planned to do one thing and God wants you to do something else. Even people of God find those things out. Jonah was given a task to do by God. He didn't like the task, so he tried to run away because he knew exactly who God is and was. So when we talk to people, we need to let them know that there is a cost, that yes, we have been saved by grace through faith, and that is a gift that no one can boast. The scriptures say that our, we are justified by faith, and that is a gift of God. And I have tried to scratch my head to come up with a good analogy of something free and yet cost. This is an imperfect one, and I understand, and so forgive me that it's imperfect. I've always wanted to own a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or some other really fast car that's beautiful, looks like it's it looks like it's going 200 miles an hour when it's sitting still. And a Ferrari, I don't understand people get yellow. If it's, if it's not Ferrari red, you didn't buy a Ferrari. Okay? But if somebody gave me a Ferrari, I couldn't keep it. I couldn't afford to pay the insurance. I couldn't afford to not, even if I didn't wreck it, just getting the plugs changed and, and all the service that needs to be done periodically. Even like a Porsche, you see, a Porsche was not built to drive on Southern California freeways. It's not built for stop and go driving. And as you drive 
in a Porsche or, or Ferrari and stop and go, you've got to service it more because it's built to go fast like on the Autobahn. So Jesus is saying, I paid it all, but it's going to cost you something. Notice he's going to go on and give another example. Saying this man has again, and then he goes, or what about the king? When he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000 men. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all of his own possessions. So Jesus tells us two things. We need to count the cost. And that cost is everything. Our own possessions. Now, before we all say, well, gee, I, I want to give you two words of comfort and encouragement. The cost is your life and doing what you want to do. The cost is considering yourself dead to sin and alive to him. But notice the cost. You give up something that you cannot keep. No matter how well you treat your body, no matter how good things you put into it, no matter how many vitamins you take, no matter how safe you are and you live in bubble wrap so that nothing might harm you, no one through in this generation will make it. We all die. It's 100%. You cannot keep your life. So what you're doing is you're exchanging that which you can't keep for that which you can't lose. Because life is given to you eternally through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus, in another parable that we've looked at before, it's this. Remember the parable of the pearl of great price, that a person stumbles in a field and sees this excellently valued pearl. And he goes and he sells everything that he has and buys that land so that he might acquire that pearl. And in essence, when Jesus says that if we are to give up all of our possessions, it is, in essence, to exchange again that where the, the rust and moss eat and robbers steal for the thing that is eternal. And so, yes, we should not make faith something simple because there is a cost. but it is worth the purchase. It is worth the giving because being in this life with Jesus is far exceeding to being in this life without him. 
whether your life is perfect or nothing ever seems to go right. Because nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. Not sickness, not persecution, not even your own self. And so, as we take a look and examine ourselves, is there something that we put above Jesus? Is it our family? Is it our career? Is it our acquiring wealth? Is it acquiring fame? Is it acquiring attaboys? Or is it saying, whatever you want me to do, I will do. And I will give up everything that I have. And I will, as Paul said, consider myself crucified that he might live in me and through me. So again, yes, it's very true. Jesus loves me. This I know. Not only for the Bible tells me so, but everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus did, and his death, burial, and resurrection show me how much he loves me. And all that he's asked from me is everything. Which, let's face it, is not anything. Because he gave me my life. He gave me my breath. He gave me any talents I have. He gave me the pleasantries. He gave me the difficulties. He is sovereign. So in essence, the cost to me is that which he's already given me. So he's the one who is the loser in this situation. Because all he's asked for me to give is that which I cannot hold on to, or that which I cannot lose. And all God's people said,